Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, guys, make unexpected vet bills a thing of the past. Take comfort knowing you're covered for anything unexpected that comes your way with Trupanion, medical insurance for pets. With the Trupanion policy, you can worry less about paying for expensive vet bills out of pocket after a pet's unexpected new illness or injury, leaving you to focus on what really matters, the health of your pet. Trupanion also provides an exclusive breeder support program, which grants you access to a special offer of Trupanion policy coverage for your litters. You get a breeder referral program and your own dedicated account manager, all at no cost for you. Just sign up via the link on my partner page, and don't forget to mention Pure Dog Talk sent you. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and you guys, I'm so excited. Many of our longtime listeners will remember many of Allison Alexander's fabulous tips of the week that we did for a number of years. And Allison has gotten so busy with leading Edge Dog Show Academy that we haven't had a time to talk in a while. So I'm just dying. I'm so excited. Allison came back. We're going to talk about drop coats. And this was actually a listener request, someone who wanted to know more about how to maintain drop-coated breeds. So we're talking things like Lhasa's and Shih Tzu and Maltese and Yorkies and all of these dogs that have beautiful flowing coats that can seem intimidating or overwhelming when you first start thinking about it. Right, Allison? Yeah, I mean, definitely I think long coats are just an iconic group of breeds where we just look at them and a lot of people think, oh, I could groom an Irish Water Spaniel or I could groom a golden retriever, or I could even make a poodle look good. But people look at long-coated breeds with that hair hitting the floor, and they are completely overwhelmed and intimidated. Right. I didn't show many drop-coated breeds. You showed a lot. I showed like a Briard and a couple TTs, and that was like more than I could deal with. <laughs> Sorry, it was just not my thing. Yeah, they're a big commitment for sure. They are. I think a commitment, Allison. Don't you think? That let's start there. That is a commitment of time and effort. So with your drop-coated breed, pick your avatar of a breed and let's talk about it and talk about the difference between a double-coated drop coat and a single coat drop coat and all of those things. So let's start with line brushing, the basic of all of it. All right. So obviously the basics do start with line brushing. And one thing I will say about drop coats, and people might disagree with me, but drop coats more than any other coat type, you can't have a bad day. So even a poodle in full coat, you can skip a bath. They could get wet in a rainstorm or a snowstorm and it's midnight and you've driven for two days to get home. And you can let them, I'm not recommending it, but you can (laughs) let them get away with like toweling them dry, sleeping it off overnight and starting the next day. You have a long coat, especially a single coated long coat, and you do not have those options. So the commitment is like times 10 to me. Yes. There are no days off. So when it comes to line brushing, to me, to keep a really fully coated 
drop coat, breed, in coat. Line brushing has to be something that you are doing every day. You're going to change those wraps every day. You're going to change that top knot every day. You're going to make sure that they look perfect. Also, when it comes to line brushing, my kind of general rule of thumb is the longer the coat, the more coat they have, the longer the pin in the pin brush I want to have. Also, when it comes to a single coated drop coat, I'm going to use a brush with a slightly softer pad firmness. And the double coated drop coats, I'm going to use a brush that has a slightly firmer pad that the pins go in. So that's kind of where I start. We also know that no matter what we're brushing, but again, more important for long coats, never ever brush, brush the coat dry. You need some kind of brushing spray, whether it's a brushing spray that's just cutting down on static, whether it's one that's adding some kind of condition to the coat, or whether it's a detangling brushing spray, but they cannot be brushed dry. You'll just keep snapping those ends off. Yeah, the don't brush dry hair, don't brush dirty hair. Those were the two rules that were beaten into me. Exactly. <laughs> Okay, so we've in previous podcasts and in some of your tips of the week, we've talked a little bit about line brushing, but touch on it again. Start from the bottom, work up all of those details. So when I am line brushing, I like to teach my dog to lay down on their side, especially a drop coat, because obviously with that longer outer coat hanging down, you're not going to get underneath. So if your drop coat is standing up, even if it's a Sky Terrier, even if it's a Briard, how are you going to hold all of that coat up and out of your way? You're not going to be able to do that. So the first thing you can do is teach your dog to lay down on the table. I like to do this. Remember that our grooming tables are fabulous. They have non-slip surfaces, but they are not the thing that our dog really wants to lay on. Like you try laying on it, not super comfortable. So when I'm laying my dogs down to be line brushed, they typically have maybe a yoga mat, a grooming mat, or like a thin dog bed, at the very least, a nice thick bath towel underneath them. Mine typically have some kind of grooming mat and then a nice thick bath towel underneath them so that they're comfortable because you're going to be here for a while. Then you're going to start as far down as you can. They're going to lay down. You're going to get all that coat out of your way. You're going to start at the very shortest hair, like as far down on the belly as you can. And then I like to take the sections when I'm line brushing. So line brushing actually means going line by line through the coat. You have to create those lines. So you're creating those lines. Typically, you could use a knitting needle. I like to use a plastic rat tail comb. Some people use a metal rat tail comb. Some people get really good at using their fingers. Whatever it is you're going to use to create those lines, it doesn't really matter to me, but you're creating a line at the skin, not out from the skin. And I like to go about a finger width between each line because sometimes people are line brushing, but they're using like three inches of coat at a time and wondering why they're not getting the same results. So a finger's width. So obviously like on a little dog, like a Maltese, it'd probably be my little finger and probably on a bigger dog, like a Sky Terrier or a Briard, it would be like a bigger finger. So you're going to part the coat, take a layer of coat down, brush it all down with the pin brush. Well, first of all, you're going to give it a little mist of whatever your brushing spray is. Brush it with your pin brush. Check it with your comb. So we're not using our comb to like groom the dog because otherwise you're going to be removing too much coat. We're using the comb to check that we did get all the way down to the skin from one end of that line that we did. And typically I'm going to go from the belly to the top line. Then I'm going to do each leg in the same manner. So I don't typically do the legs or the tail or the neck at the same time. I go belly 
from the armpit to the loin area all the way up. Then I'm going to do the front leg from the bottom of the foot up, back leg, under the tail, the tail, then the neck, head. And you have a breed like a Briard or a Sky Terrier brushing out the whole face. Maybe a Shih Tzu or a Maltese, you're doing that separately because you're taking those wrappers out, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. But it's in sections and it's line by line by line. Okay, excellent. So then we've gotten ourselves line brushed. We're all beautiful. We're brushed to the skin and we're doing that every day. Typically, if I'm looking after a double coated drop coat, I probably don't need to do them every day unless they're going through a coat change. But something like a Maltese, a Shih Tzu, a Lhasa, something that is in wrappers, I'm going to be doing them every day to change those wrappers. I mean, even a Havanese or a Cotton, which, you know, would be typically a different kind of drop coat, but still a drop coat. They're not typically wrapped, et cetera. You might wrap maybe parts of them, but they're not wrapped all over their entire body, their faces, their butts, their tails, et cetera. I mean, some people do wrap the whole thing, but not typically. You're still going to be going through that coat every other day. But anything with wrappers in it, or you're working towards having wrappers in them, I'm going to be brushing them out every day. And when we talk about wrappers, we see them in use in different breeds in different ways. So I have seen people like Tanya Hollabaugh put wrappers on those Maltese or the Yorkies. Or you see somebody that comes out of Best in Show and it's a million hours late, but they're going to do up the beard and the mustache on their Lhasa. So talk to us about what you're using for wrappers, why you're using it, and how to keep that from breaking the coat. I mean, that's what I always worried about. I'm like, I'm going to do this wrong, you know? So how are we going to do that right? Okay. So those are really good questions because that is a problem. Wrappers themselves are complicated. Like just to say that you're going to wrap your dog isn't actually good enough. So I typically like a plastic wrapper. I buy standard size plastic wraps that are available out there. A lot of people will use a rice paper wrap. So they'll use a rice Mm -hmm. paper wrap for the body coat, but they'll use a plastic wrap for maybe their ears. Back in the day, we used to cut up plastic bags and use them before you could buy them. We used to use J-cloth, which nobody except in Canada knows what that is. So J-cloth is like basically a disposable kitchen washcloth, like a dish rag, but they're disposable and they come in a box. I know that you can get them in the U.S., but every time I would say to people, J-cloth, they would- I'm going to tell you, this is brand new to me. I've got nothing. So they're like thin, semi-disposable, reusable kitchen cloths, but they were great for wrapping because they were tough, but light. They would Mm -hmm. let the air in. So one of the reasons I like to wrap is because you have to think that everywhere you put a rubber band, you are technically cutting the coat. Rubber bands do cut the coat, especially over time, especially when you're not good at it. So if you're taking like, say, poodle coat and you're putting bands in it from the base of the neck to the end and there's 10 rubber bands, that's 10 different places that you can cut the hair which is typically why a lot of dogs have their hair thinner at the end than at the base, because obviously it's been cut 10 times by the time it gets to that band. So wrapping, you can use one rubber band at the base of the wrap or no rubber bands at the base of the wrap, depending on how you wrap. So it's going to protect that hair from environmental damage, from rubbing. You can also, between shows, add conditioner underneath that wrap, which is why I like to use plastic wraps, because then the conditioner is kind of getting a hot oil treatment the entire week while it's like in that wrap or just even overnight. Or 
however long you leave that conditioner in that wrap. It's conditioning that hair, but that conditioner can't dissipate into the atmosphere. It's actually locked into the hair shaft. But the flip side of wrapping is that if you're not good at it, if the coat isn't properly combed out, they can get hairs wrapped around the wrapper that causes matting. There can be matting caused underneath the wrapper. The dog could hate the wrapper and chew it out. The dog could hate the wrapper and rub it off. Wrappers get stuck on water buckets, et cetera, et cetera. So all of my water buckets for my poodles back when they used to have the little hooks were all taped up. Even a snap, like a bucket snap that looks, oh, like that's nothing. But, you know, I've had poodles that are like stuck to their water bucket because of the snap. So everything had to be taped because obviously you pull out one big wrapper of hair. That's a lot of hair to be missing. So wrappers are a necessary evil, but you have to always remember that they could be evil. They're there to protect the coat. They're there to keep it clean. On those drop-coated breeds, when the hair is dragging on the ground, they're there to help that hair be able to grow because obviously we look at Sky Terriers, we look at Havanese, we look at Cotons, breeds that are not typically wrapped and their coat typically does not drag on the ground. It may hit the ground, but it's that natural friction that keeps that coat at the length that it is, which we like. That's how Mm -hmm. we want those breeds to look. But the breeds like Lhasa's, Shih Tzu's, Yorkies, Maltese, that we want to have that super glamorous coat, they're not going to get it unless we wrap that coat. So it's a necessary evil. Just remember it is evil. Okay. And again, this is not my forte. This is why I have you here. So in order to wrap, say we're wrapping the beard or the face, you know, a pretty common thing that we see done on most of the drop-cutted breeds because they get schmutz in their little mustaches. Tell us about, because there's a very specific process and each person's is different. I've watched millions of people wrap dogs and everybody's got their way. So what's kind of a general, consistent way to wrap the beard, the mustache, this little bit, and then the over the eye part so that those hairs are staying clean and out of the way and they can see and all the stuff. So for wrapping the front of the face, obviously the hair is going to be parted in the middle going down the nose. And that part is going to end at about, you're going to make another part from the corner of the eye to the other corner of the eye. So the inside corner of one eye to the inside corner of the other eye, you're going to have a part, the part down the nose goes to that line. Then you're going to have a part that goes from the outside corner of the eye to the outside corner of the mouth on the same side. So now we have, obviously there's no part at the front where the nose is, or the bottom or the lip, the top lip, there's no part there. It's naturally the hair ends there. So then there's going to be a part from the nose to the middle of that line that we've made from the inside corner to the inside corner, and then from the outside corner to the lip. That's our little kind of obtuse triangle of coat. Then we're going to carefully comb that coat with as fine a comb as we can. And then we are going to wrap it, remembering to not pull on that wrapper too taut, right, as we're going to wrap it. So when we have our wrapper, if you think of your wrapper like a piece of paper, so if you're following along and you had a piece of paper, when you put the hair down, you're going to put the hair down about a quarter of the way along that piece of paper. So the hair would go down on the wrapper about a quarter of the way along. You would fold that one quarter in over the coat. And then you would fold the longer end, the three quarters around and then behind the coat and then around again until the entire coat is encased in that wrapper. Then from the bottom of the wrapper, you fold the wrapper up in half 
and then up in half again. You don't fold it up in like from the bottom, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times until it gets to the top. In half, in half again. If you have to do it one more time in half, I like to, especially on young dogs, cut that wrapper so it's just a little bit longer than the length of the coat, just because then it's not as heavy on the dog's face. Then, and I preach about this all the time in Poodle University, the wrapping band goes around that wrapper three times. It doesn't go around twice. It doesn't go around 75 times. It goes around three times. So to me, three times is really important because three times gives that wrapper stability to stay in the coat. But you don't want it in there so tight that it's just annoying the dog every time they blink, every time they lick their lips, every time they move their face because of wrap. You need it to have a little bit of give. So the size of bands that you should use, I like to use the size from the company I buy called Wrapping Bands, which is a fairly universal size, three times. You want it to be three times. So then if we're working on the head hair, either from where that dog is parted from that front nose. We are then going to take another part and we are going to take the part from that same outside corner of the eye to the first corner of the ear, the inside corner of the ear. So now we're going outside corner of the eye to the inside corner of the ear, inside corner of the ear to the other inside corner of the ear and back. So we have that part from between the eyes, outside corner of the eye, corner of the ear, across, cross, back. And then I'm going to divide that in half lengthwise. So from the stop towards the occiput, but to that line. And I'm going to put each, so the left side and the right side again in their own either band or wrapper. So a lot of times we like to band the very top of the head because a lot of dogs don't like the feel of the wrappers. So I'm going to band that section. Then I'm going to band the section from the front corner of the ear to the back corner of the ear and then the back corner of the ear to back corner of the ear. So that's a section from the front corner of the ear to the back corner of the ear and straight across is a section. So a lot of things that people ask me is how big do I make the rest of the sections of my dog? So my rule of thumb is on a averagely coated dog, my sections are going to be that's the size of the ear section. So our dog is kind of telling us how big they're going to be. So if we've parted the coat From, you know, the inside corner of the ear straight across to the outside corner of the ear straight across. And then, you know, obviously across from the top of the ear, that section is the biggest my sections are going to be over my entire dog. Never am I going to have a section bigger than that. If I have a very, very heavy coated dog, my sections are going to be even smaller because you don't want those wraps to be so heavy because it's the heaviness of the hair rubbing on the wrap that's going to cause breakage over time. And also, if my dog is very, very fine-coated, thin-coated, has a lot of damaged hair, again, my wrapping sections are going to be so small. People do often make the mistake with very fine-coated dogs with damaged coat that they're just trying to like revitalize the coat of making too many small wraps. And again, you're breaking the hair basically at every single place that you wrap the coat. Right. Okay. And the hair goes in the wraps, dry, not damp. Yes, absolutely. Great question. The hair has to be bone dry at the skin. My rule of thumb for people that are new to wrapping is you dry your dog till it's dry and you dry it for another 10 minutes because (laughs) any dampness, if you sneeze, you have to redry that dog because any dampness under that wrap between the skin and the band or the skin and the wrap is going to cause matting instantaneously. And you are going to hate yourself and possibly me. (laughs) 
And don't hate me because I said, just do it dry. <laughs> hate messenger. Yes. <laughs> Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Check it. Dog events are happening. For exhibitors who are able and willing to attend these events, it feels as if our tribe has been reunited once again. Meanwhile, for folks who are continuing to feel safest staying at home and away from crowds, and for folks who are driving long haul between far-flung events, I gotcha. I've been working hard to bring you all podcast episodes that help you feel connected to our larger community and offer opportunities for education and entertainment, no matter how you have managed through this truly overwhelming year. One of my favorite events this year is the monthly virtual Pure Dog Talk After Dark for patrons of our podcast. Anybody can join this fabulous community of dog enthusiasts by visiting the website and clicking on the Become a Patron link on the homepage. And while you're there zooming around on the site, you might think about checking out our shopping tab too. We've linked dog show vendors from all around the country so you can help support them during this really grueling loss of income suffered due to a lack of events. There's even a swag link that lets you order your Pure Dog Talk t-shirt, sweatshirt, fan case, mask, <laughs> ringside towel, and so much more. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. So check out the links at www.puredogtalk.com. Your support adds up to a huge voice for purebred dogs. I am sure that our listeners are going to be able to find out more information at Poodle University, and we will have a link in there. Because this is something, depending on your learning style, I know I have learned by watching. So I know that you'll have something on this somewhere that I can send them to, to watch. Yeah. And I do agree. Like, I think that this is a great podcast, a great subject to have. But if you are listening and you think that you can learn exactly how to rap from my description, and I am trying to be really, really descriptive, but you have to see it. Right. I think I even have a free tutorial on how on drop code. Good. So you can take a look. Good. Okay. So we will make sure we have those links in there. Now, next part, you have your lovely Lhasa that you've finished. You've kept its beard clean, but now you want to special it. So we've line brushed it. We've wrapped it. We've banded it. We've done all the things we need to do to get it in good shape to be a champion. But now I want to compete. I want to be somebody. What am I going to do different? Okay, so now it's time for double jeopardy. So yes, we've answered all those first questions, but now like this is when things kind of get really scary. This is when it gets real. So first of all, my rule of thumb, and I again preach this for my poodle people, but I preach it for everybody. 
every week, one time a week, you are going to take the ends of that coat and you are going to trim off all the little see-through pieces that you can see through. You are going to be consistently doing those little mini trims at the end of the coat. So that means that the dog is blown dry, you know, in the case of Alasa, ironed perfectly so that everything is straight. And just those very, very see-through ends, you are going to just snip off every single week. Your dog's coat will come in thicker, it will come in stronger, and you will never have see-through type coat. And people don't believe you, but as soon as you do it, it makes such a difference. You can look at Jennifer Aniston's hair. She goes for mini trims every two weeks and she looks great, right? So the other thing for wrapped single coat coated breeds, like getting to the next level, Yorkies, Lhasa's, Maltese, Shih Tzu's, is a lot of times there is breakage along that center part. So I like to offset my center part for maintenance. So show day, so say I am showing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I do my show bath. Well, I mean, Yorkies will get bath every day, but I'm doing my show bath on Thursday. I'm going to have that nice center part. It's going to be wrapped properly. I'm going to get to the dog show, get them ready for the show that night, center part, Saturday night, center part, Sunday night, offset part, Monday maintenance bath, offset part on the other side. So I'm a little bit to the right on Monday, a little bit to the left on Tuesday, a little bit to the right on Wednesday, right? So that if there is any breakage, it's happening where that center parted hair is going to cover it. And there's not going to be repeated damage because we're always parting in the center. So that is my next level tip for those breeds is go to the left, go to the right, go to the left, go to the right. Same thing with the face and the top knot, even with poodles, but even all my drop coated breeds, I'm going to offset those part lines just a little bit for maintenance. Yes, I get serious when it comes to my show bath. Even if I have something double wrapped, like a poodle ear, I'm going to single wrap it for the show, but offset those part lines so that the breakage isn't always in the same place. Because eventually that's just going to be a big frizzy spot on your Lhasa or your Yorkie Mm -hmm. or whatever. Also, just think that obviously just like the heads of our dogs, the top line of our dogs is where all of our friends pat the dog where it like rubs up against the couch or against the side of its crate or even the side of its dog bed. And it always gets a little bit of wear and tear on that part. So if we're consistently offsetting it and, you know, kind of pay attention, how much can you offset it before things get uncomfortable or weird looking? Right. I mean, I'm not offsetting it by a ton, but I'm definitely offsetting it at least the width of my baby finger, maybe, you know, the width of my thumb. And that's a lot on a dog. Mm -hmm. That is genius. I love that. So here's another one, because these are the kind of questions that I want to know, just because I never did what my partner calls the jewelry group. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You have to get your bows in, and you have probably broken some hair trying to get the bows in, just so. We're now at that extra level, like the extra level of bowness. How are we going to up our bow game? in our jewelry group. So are we up in getting the bow in or up in correcting the damage from the bow? Both. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's a big question. Break it in two. Okay. So getting the bow in, I mean, there is nothing, first of all, finding the correct bow. Yes. So it's kind of like finding the correct dog show shoe, just because the shoes that Laurel wears look great on her and she says they're comfortable and she can show 40 dogs for three days in them and everything's hunky-dory doesn't mean they're going to work for me. 
And just because your friend buys these $80 bows from this little lady in Romania that makes them and sends them out by carrier pigeon doesn't mean they're going to be the right ones for you. So size is really important. If you have a bigger dog, you need a bigger bow. If your dog has thinner coat, you need a lighter, smaller bow. Pay attention to those things. All the good bows, you know, have several different elastics on the back. You're going to get really good at sewing your own on. But really, it's all about size and weight. So pay attention to how big your dog is, how thick is their coat, where are you putting it? So that's my first big tip. Secondly, definitely those top knots, they take a lot of beating. So top knots, tails, sometimes hawk hair takes a lot of beating on those drop-coated breeds. So something that I like to do, and I'll do it weekly if I need to, is for my maintenance bath, I do what's called the deep conditioning method. Great for having ease, great for dogs going through coat change, those drop coats going through coat change. So I'm going to bath my dog, condition, and you have to remember, conditioner is like just so imperative for those drop coats. And I'm going to condition them, always leave the conditioner on for three to five minutes, let it do its job. Then you're going to rinse it out. Then squeeze as much water out of your dog as possible. I like to put two big, thick bath towels on my grooming table. I put my dog on the grooming table. Then I use some kind of deep conditioning treatment, something made to deep condition. So that might be like Chris Christensen Miracle Cream, might be one of your favorite products from the drugstore, whatever works for you. I want you to put it through the ends of your dog's coat along that parted line, through the top knot, the beard, the mustache, everything. Lots and lots of conditioner. Then you're going to take a white, has to be white, kitchen catcher, like a garbage trash can for the kitchen. Has to be white. You're going to put it on your dog. Obviously, not over your dog's face. So you're going to put it behind your dog's eyes, down to the tail. Then you're going to have a bath towel that you've gotten really wet in hot water. You're going to wring that bath towel out and you're going to put it over top of that garbage bag. So we have the conditioning treatment on the wet hair that's been squeezed out. It's not dripping wet, it's squeezed out. Then we have the white kitchen catcher. Then we have the hot wet towel. Then you're going to sit there with your dog and you're going to be listening to Pure Dog Talk podcast for 15 minutes and you're going to hold your hot or warm dryer and you're just going to be going all over those areas of their dog. I like to hold the mustache in my hand while I do this because I can't put a plastic bag, obviously, on my dog's face, but the heat of my hand helps it. Listening to the podcast, other hand with the hot dryer, obviously, you're paying attention to your dog. If it's getting too hot, stop because Shih Tzus have that shorter face. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to what you're doing. That's why you're there. Hot dryer, hot dryer for 10 to 15 minutes. And that just like lets that deep conditioner, like soak into that hair, like the hot oil treatment they give you at the salon where they put the baggie on your head, then the hot dryer. That's what we're recreating. This is for a maintenance bath. It's not for a show bath, right? So this is my Monday routine. Then you're going to rinse that out. And eventually you'll get good at just rinsing out enough that you can dry it. Sometimes you have to rinse the whole thing out and put your regular conditioner in, depending on what kind of hot oil treatment you used. So if I have a dog come to me that has damaged coat, that's what I do. Like I tell people do it every three weeks, but really I do it once a week until I get the dog into what I think is good condition. Then I do it every two or three weeks to keep it up because I want to maintain it. But if I have a dog that, you know, we have these five day dog shows and I know that top knot's going to just be taking all kinds of abuse. I try to make that hair resilient to breakage by doing these hot treatments. I don't like oil. I like conditioner, but 
that's how I do it. I like it. That is fabulous. Okay. Two more things because we're almost out of time and I could just sit here and absorb your knowledge for hours. So I'm going to be careful here. Color of the bow and or design. So Yorkies have to have a red bow. Right, exactly. Yeah, Yorkies don't count. Yorkies, Yorkies have don't to have count. A red bow. And don't Maltese have to have black ones? Maltese do have confused? black ones typically because it breaks out their pigment. It makes their pigment really stand out. So you want to use the black bow on the Maltese. Right. People sometimes use little tiny red ones on puppy Maltese, but right. I like the black. So then obviously you just want, just like you're picking a dog show outfit that kind of like sets off your dog, you're going to be doing the same thing when you're picking a bow. When you're picking a bow, you want that color that's going to give contrast to your dog's face. So now I'm talking about a special, like something that we know. Again, on the flip, we're breaking out the breaking A-game. out the we're A game up there in double jeopardy. We want something that makes that dog's face pop. So if you have a black Shih Tzu, you want like a really bright orange bow, something that's going to like draw that attention. I know a lot of people that don't have Yorkies that have Shih Tzus that won't use a red or yellow bow because they think it means they're going to go second or third, which I find is a very interesting concept. Also, think about your dog's face. Are you trying to demand attention to your dog's face? Like, does your dog just have that big, beautiful, melting face? In that case, I'm going to use a plainer bow. If I have a dog that maybe shows a little bit more white around its eye than is desired, maybe its nose is a little bit longer, but still a beautiful special in every other way, maybe I'm going to have the fanciest bow that there is. Judges are human. I know myself, I'm part crow, anything that's shiny I want to look at. So when they come up and they're like, oh my God, what a beautiful bow. You have beauty associated with your dog's face. So, I mean, I'm sure not everybody thinks the way I think. But that's why we're having you here. You know, you might buy the most beautiful bow in the world when your dog's six months old, and then it can just never have the kind of top knot to carry that bow. You have to be aware because they do have like the double pleated bows and the pearls and the thing and the extra pearls. Mm -hmm. But for me, I want a bow color that would be the same kind of like the outfit. If I was only showing one dog and that was a dog, what outfit would make my dog look the best? That's how I'm going to pick the color of my bow. But it's going to be plainer for the dog that has the most beautiful face because I want you to see those big, beautiful eyes. And it's going to be more extravagant for the dog that has, even if not a fault in their face, maybe just a plainer face, I'm going to have that fancy, fancy bow. Mm-hmm. Like you could have a black Shih Tzu that has the most gorgeous face in the world. You still need something to compete with all those party colors. So give it a fancier bow. Love it. Okay. Final question. Specific Product recommendations, brush, shampoo, conditioner, what you got for me? All right. So like I said, the longer the dog's coat, the longer pin I like on my brush. Mm -hmm. So I like the Chris Christensen, the Fusion, because their brushes are marked with how long the pin actually is. Ah. I typically stick with either a 27 millimeter or a 35 millimeter pin brush. I think that they both like really work fantastically. There's lots of different shampoos out there for drop-coated breeds. And I really feel that it's personal preference. Okay. I like a new product by Chris Christensen and it's called the Thick and Thicker Leave-In Treatment. And it works in two ways. First of all, it, it repairs the hair shaft it adds protein into the hair shaft and makes the coat actually thicker under a microscope. And I know this because I have the picture. <laughs> But it also makes the coat look thicker at the same time. 
So to me, it's the first product that I've run across that does both at the same time. Typically before I was using one product to make the coat stronger and then a second product to make the coat look thicker in the ring where this one does both at the same time. I like to use it on wet hair as I'm drying them because they can be like 80% dry and I can think this coat isn't as luxurious in the loin or behind the tail or wherever it might be and I can just add more product there and it instantly looks thicker. One thing I will say about drop coats and is a really, really good heat protectant, like a spray on heat protectant. So Milkshake, which is for humans, they make a really good heat protectant spray. So does Chi, which also has a lot of great heat protectant tools as well. Remember when using those tools, not to get so close to your dog's skin and really pay attention, like they can get really, really hot. But a heat protectant is just an absolute must. All right. There you have it, ladies and germs. That is absolutely fabulous information from the queen of it all. Thank you, Allison. Well, thank you, Laura. It's always so great to talk to you. And you are just always so nice to me. And anytime I can share anything with your listeners, I am happy to do it because they are a great crowd. And I've always gotten great feedback from them. So thank you so much for inviting me. I am thrilled. And we will have more conversations along the way, I think. Sounds good. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.